0: It's my distinct pleasure to welcome the first speaker of Fearless Summit 2023. Murithi Wanjao, or Pastor M, as he's popularly known, is a senior pastor of Mavuno Church, a movement of churches originating in Nairobi, Kenya, with a presence in 10 different nations. He studied, believe it or not, biochemistry at the University of Nairobi before getting a Master's of Divinity from Fuller Seminary in Southern California. He's the author of several popular books, including Mizizi, Plugging Into Your God's Purpose, a discipleship manual that has been translated into at least six different languages, sold hundreds of thousands worldwide, and is used in many churches across the world. He's also the co-writer of Couples and Money, an online marriage finance course. Moridi is an internationally renowned conference speaker who's spoken on all six continents. He's a founder of this summit, the Fearless Summit, a societal transformational conference annually attended by delegates from all across the world. He's become an influential thought leader, mentoring many leaders who are seeking to bring positive change to their cities and nations across the African continent and beyond. Mouradi's many passions include leadership development, starting new churches, and societal transformation. He's been married to his college sweetheart, Carol, for 29 years, and they, with their three children, live in Nairobi, Kenya. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for a rousing welcome to the Fearless Summit visionary, Pastor Moradi Wanjiao.
1: hello can you hear us amen Amen. wow so first thing i want you to do is do the fearless salute jesus forever come on somebody that's right jesus forever amen we're we're so excited to have every single one of you here welcome 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 to fearless 2023 it's really good to see everybody here and I'm going to just ask Pastor Carol if she would just speak a blessing over us as we prepare our hearts for what the Lord has for us. Is that okay? Yeah. Pastor Carol. All
2: right, let's pray. I want us to invite the King of Kings yeah. and the Lord of Lords into this place. And um, I don't know how many of you know that we need to do it in the atmosphere. We need to speak into Athi River and into this space and command it to allow to to allow the king of kings to come into this place. So let's pray. Lift up your heads. At the river. Be lifted up, you ancient gates, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord God Almighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up that the King of Kings may come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord Almighty is the king of glory. We welcome you king of kings into this place. Yes. We say take your rightful place. We surrender ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to you. We say only you are worthy. You are worthy Jehovah God. Yes. We, we we are expectant. We stand in awe and are and, and wait to receive from you, wait to hear from you when on others you're calling do not pass me by. Do not pass us by. Jehovah, we are ready. Speak to us. In Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Come on, let's appreciate Pastor Carol. (laughs) Woo. Amen. Please have your seats. It's so good to see everybody here this morning. What a privilege for us at Mavuno to host you for Fearless 2023. I just want to say, first of all, that it is an honor a singular honor you know there's a guy in the bible who who did a party and he 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 threw everything down for the people who were supposed to come and then they didn't come that's not a good thing and so for us one of the biggest joys is just to see everybody who's taken the time the trouble to be here with us for these next 3 days i just want to say karibuni sana <laughs> welcome to nairobi welcome to athriva welcome to kenya it's so great to have you here. I want to just give a very special welcome to all the, the pastors and the leaders of faith, the leaders, uh, the, the, the fathers of the faith who are in this house. Uh, we're so excited to have you here. Uh, Apostle Moses Mokisa uh, from the PAL of Africa, my brother, and Pastor Ari. It's such a joy, always a joy to have you guys here. Uh, we're so excited to have you here. Mavuna, are we excited? Whoa, like we're so happy to have you. Uh, Pastor Noel, all the way from, is that Pastor Noel? Yes, from Nigeria, he's in the house as well. Uh, this man is just fire, he's dangerous, and you're going to be meeting him later on. Another, what are those guys called? Special forces. Uh, Apostle Moses Kalanzi from Uganda. Like, I tell you, if you miss any other session in Fearless, just don't miss his session. Like you have to be there for now. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to cause you to think like I did when I first had him. What have I been doing with my life all these years? Anybody who knows Apostle Kalanzi knows that's the testimony when you meet that man. Uh, it's such a great joy to have you here. I can see Pastor Jimmy of Harvest Family Church is in the house. It's so great to have you, Pastor Jimmy. And it's so, so good to have you here. Uh, Pastor, uh, is that Pastor Maish? Pastor Minor of Lifeway. It's so great to have you, uh, LifeWay is one of our, uh, 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 LifeSpring, LifeWay, LifeSpring, Life LifeSpring is actually a sister church that was planted by Nairobi Chapel just like we were, they're like an older brother because they were planted before us and it's always an honor to, to host our older brother in the house, welcome, we love you guys and we're so happy you're here. Uh, one other person is, uh, I need to introduce uh, Pastor Benga, Pastor Benga is actually, come on stand up and wave. Pastor Benga is uh, the regional director for New Thing Africa. It's, a, it's, it's basically a catalyst uh, for, plant, for starting movements. Uh, and he's basically catalyzing movements across Africa. And he's had a big influence here. He's an amazing man of God all the way from Nigeria. But now he's become a Kenyan and we bless God for him. I see Pastor Morris from JCC. Uh, Pastor Morris, it's great to have you here as well. Karibu Sana. Uh, it's such a joy to have you here. And then one person who it's always a treat for me to have in the house, uh, he's my brother when we were called to start this church. Uh, he's the man who God actually revealed to me that I need to call him. He was leading a church at that time, and God told me, call him and ask him to stop his church and come and join you to plant your church. That's a, who does that? And so I told the Lord, Lord, this cannot be you. This one cannot be your voice. And then as I'm arguing with the Lord, I get a phone call from the same man I'm arguing. And the man says, I don't know, I'm getting a very disturbing message. God is asking me to stop my church and close it down and bring it to Mavuno We Start Together. And This is none other than Pastor Simon Bevy. Simon the man, baby, he's in the house. And it's such a joy to have Pastor S. He's a, a national voice, an international voice. He's had a huge impact in the church in Kenya and beyond. And we are so grateful to have you, Pastor S. It's always a joy to have you here. Bless the Lord. I know there are many other pastors. I saw Pastor Kevin Derrito from District Church. It's great to have you, Pastor Kev. I don't know if Pastor Christian. Do I hear Pastor Christian? He's not there. Come on, Pastor Christian, just wave. You're there in the house as well. Uh, Mariner's Church, uh, he's a a son of this house as well, and we're so grateful to have him. Any other pastors in the house? Let me just ask all the pastors, if you just stand, uh, ministers of the gospel from different parts of the world, just stand up where you are. This is a trick question, by the way. Uh, All right. (laughs) Amen. Come on, let's appreciate these who are standing. Amen. Bless the Lord for you. Thank you so much. Please have your seat. I want to honor one other person. Uh, Maybe sometimes they say, you you always save the best for the last, isn't it? And this, this, uh, as I said, we were planted by Nairobi Chapel. Uh, That is our mother church. Uh, That's the church that we came out of. And the pastor for Nairobi Chapel is here. Uh, Pastor for Nairobi Chapel, Gong Road. Pastor Nick Corril. Please stand and wave. This is your, we've not seen you here in a long time. And it's such a joy to have you here, my brother. Wow, what a joy. We feel like mommy is in the house. When when Nairobi Chapo is here, we feel happy. You know, we feel like mommy's in the house, and we're so grateful. He's representing Bishop Oscar Murray, our spiritual father, who is not able to be here. He's away and out of town. So it's such a joy for us to be here. Uh, Please feel at home, whatever part of the world you're from. uh, We are grateful you're here. And as we've been praying for Fearless, uh, I don't know why, this has come up so many times. So many people have said it, including today. Multiple people have said it to me today. This is going to be the best fearless summit there ever was. And Actually, that's not just something we're saying to hype. I really believe that this is the best that we've ever had and that God is going to show up in a really special way today. I'm believing, God, that over the next three days that destinies are going to be unlocked in this house. That's, that's the word that God has been giving us, that God is going to actually provide solutions in this place for destinies. Individual destinies and ministry destinies are going to be unlocked in the house in this place. If you believe it, say amen. I believe that the Lord is about to move in a singular way, and we're about to experience God in a really powerful way. And so today, I believe, I want to just talk about, I believe God has a formula. God has an answer for his people, and I believe that in this place, we will find that formula. We will find that answer. And so I want to talk a bit about that Because I really believe in this season, the church is facing some major challenges. God's people, the church, in the marketplace, are facing some significant challenges. They're both external challenges and internal challenges. The church is facing God's people. When I say church, by the way, I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about our people. So who am I talking about? Tell your neighbor he's talking about you. Yeah, talking about you. The other trick thing you're going to discover at Fearless is when we talk about pastors, maybe I should save that one for later. (laughs) I did a small question and I said, all the pastors in the house stand up. And that was a test. And a few people in the house failed. Actually, a few people in the house passed. The ones who know their identity. And the ones who did not stand, this is why you're at Fearless. (laughs) You're about to discover a few things about yourself that you did not know. But I think I'm going to park that one there for now. Because I believe God has a significant word for you. So if you didn't stand, just know. Just tell your neighbor, that's why you're here. Uh There's a reason why God made you come. This is why you're here. You need to know something about yourself. So God's people are facing challenges, significant external and internal challenges. I'm going to talk about the external challenges that God's people are facing that are are, are, are very unique for this generation of followers of Jesus. The first challenge, of course, is the global pandemics. Uh, We had this COVID-19 shutdown that was something we never expected to have in our lifetime. There are people who are born and died and never had such a thing happen in their lifetime. And it shut down our economies, it shut down our social interaction, it shut down our churches. And it's interesting because right now, I mean, churches are still recovering across the world from this thing. But in addition, there are many other permutations. I think they call them variants that are happening. Have you had, anybody in your house had a serious flu recently? Here in Nairobi, we call it fluvids, fluvids. There are no significant flus. Nowadays, it's just variants that are passing through, and it's something that is happening, and yet it is a crisis. It is a challenge that many churches are grappling with, uh, and many of God's people are affected by. A second one is war, international wars. The Bible talks about in the last days there will be wars and rumors of war. We had a major war, the Russia and Ukraine war. It's not a world war, but it has impacted the whole world, including we here in East Africa. Who knew that something can happen in a place called Ukraine, that most Kenyans have no clue where that is. And then it affects the price of ugali. Like, can you imagine? How? How? By the way, do you know the price of ugali? By the way, for our guests who are from out of Kenya, that's a culinary delicacy. Uh, of high of high repute. Thank you, sir. Somebody understands what I'm talking about in the house. And Kenyans delight, I think. In in our neighbors call it kaunga. Kaunga. You know Kenyans can't call it kaunga because ka means small. Ah uh-uh, ah. We don't eat small here. Ugali, ugali. Uh huh. But it's the price of ugali is double what it was last year. Can you can you believe that? Like that is. That's the most significant inflation that I remember in my lifetime. Like the Kenya shilling has lost half its value, 50% of its value in the last year. Fuel at the pump is nearly double what it was a year ago when you're here at Fearless. In fact, the beneficiaries I was thinking are the Ugandans. Because the Kenya shilling had a major slide against the Uganda shilling recently. I was thanking God for the ones who are coming for Fearless. Our things are cheap now for you compared to how they were a month ago. But you know, these are things that are happening at a global scale. And it's not just Kenyans who are experiencing the impact of some of these macroeconomic things that are happening around us. Climate change is another significant thing. I mean, climate change is something that we read about, we see documentaries. In Africa, we think it's something that happens to people in other parts of the world. But now we are beginning to realize it's real. Tell your neighbor, climate change is real. Yeah, uh, We've just come out of a, a three-year drought in Kenya. Three years, it's the longest drought. The people, people have talked to old people in this country, our grandparents' age, and they say they've never seen a drought like we've come from in the last three years. It was a significant drought. And we still believe that, in fact, the people who are in charge of weather tell us, these things are going to become common as we go along. And this is something that is going to affect us because it's affecting our members. It's affecting our businesses. It's something we have to be aware about. It's a challenge that God's people will face. A fourth one is political volatility. Come on, somebody. I mean, this is so crazy because even the countries we used to look up to and think have no issues. All countries in the world nowadays have issues. Politics is a mess wherever you look. I mean, we in Kenya have had, I mean, for our neighbors, you probably are aware, we've had... Elections for the last 10 years. It's like not like we have elections over the last 10 years. We have had elections for the last 10 years. Every year in Kenya is an election year. And this is just toxic politics with leaders who are more interested in themselves than in creating a living for their people. And again, what are we what, what are God's people to do? Because this is affecting the people in our churches. It's affecting the people we are trying to meet in our businesses. A fifth one is technological shifts. Technological shifts. This is a big one. This is a big one. We're in the middle of one of the biggest technological shifts that has ever been experienced. In fact, it probably is the biggest. This is not the industrial revolution. This is a completely different speed uh, game. And right now, I mean, you're, I don't know if you've been watching some of the things that are going on online. We're going to talk a bit about that. But I was watching a video recently by a, a guy who worked for one of the big tech giants. And he resigned. He was actually one of the guys who was in charge of creating this disruptive technology called artificial intelligence. And if you, some of you may have watched that video. It's actually a scary video to watch. I mean, we're excited about the opportunities. And we'll talk about some of the opportunities But this man, when when you listen to his interview, you realize he says this thing could be the extinction of the human race. He says, having worked on it and looking at the problems in it, in fact, he said the problem is not the technology. He says the problem is the people. Because he says, even if the United States was to try and regulate its companies so that they don't create these computers that take over, he says, how do we have guarantee that China will not do the same? So you can't regulate and so right now, it's a race to the bottom. He says the most, in, the, the most intelligent computer today is as intelligent as Einstein. The most intelligent computer can do what any could think like Einstein. Einstein was pretty high IQ. The most intelligent computer is more intelligent than... Okay, let me say me. <laughs> Somebody might catch feelings. You might think, I'm, 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 no, no, it's more intelligent than me. But he said over the next two years... The most intelligent computer will be a billion times more intelligent than Einstein. Why is that? Because we've gotten to the place where it's not human beings designing them, it's computers designing computers. And the guy said, I reached a place where I have tried to advocate for good use of these things, and then I realized nobody is listening. And so he retired, and when he's asked, Why did you retire? he said, I decided to go home, look after my wife and children, and live a good life. Ah. <laughs> the guy is like, because I, I, I know where the world is heading, I have decided to just resign my career from Silicon Valley. Go home and love my wife and children. Because he says, where the world is heading, I don't want to be in that thing. Again, in Africa, we think these things don't affect us. But I'm telling you, they affect us. I mean, right now, one of the biggest disruptions of AI will be massive. I mean, there's opportunities. I always know, by the way. Don't, don't see me as a doomsday person. But there's going to be massive layoffs. Because many of our careers, many of our, our careers that are supporting people in our economies are low-level careers that can be done like this. Uh, any computer can do the jobs that many of our people are doing. And in a little while, we're going to find some serious, significant challenges. And these are the things that God's people are facing in our generation. Those are just, those are just external challenges. Tell anybody, that's just external. Because internally, we have challenges that we're facing as God's people as well. Uh, it's interesting because our churches are now populated by Africa's first digital native population. I don't know if you're aware of that. But the children in your youth church and your Sunday school, they're not like you. At all, at all, at all. (laughs) They're not like you. They don't think like you. Their brains are not wired like yours. They are completely digital natives. And that's very interesting because back in the day, we used to say, this is African culture. We are Africans. But right now we're in a very disruptive age where your children, when they hear you say you're African, they don't know what you're talking about. Because their values are completely determined by TikTok and Netflix. And what does that mean for values? What does that mean for teaching about the gospel to people who've been secularized from the womb? These little gadgets you're giving your children, and I see children being babysat by them. You don't understand what they're doing to, We don't understand what they're doing to their minds and how they're rewiring their brains. And then in addition to that, you have a generation in church now. I think it's Africa's first unparented generation. Are you t- hearing what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. If you talk to Africans, Africans you understand that there's a generation that was parented. There's a generation where if you try to do certain things, African mom, hashtag African mom. She doesn't have to say anything. She just looks at you like this. You know it's over. Your life is finished. That piece of chicken you're about to pick in the neighbor's house, you just go like this. Parented. We were parented, isn't it? Yeah. Some of you have slipper tattoos. <laughs> Some people have tattoos. Before tattoos were popular, you had a tattoo in the back, written sandak. (laughs) What a shock. Wow. We have a generation that is completely unparented because absent parents, busy chasing careers, and they're in church, and they have no... They don't understand. By the way, this is what pastors were facing. We need to understand... You're you're counseling couples now who have no concept of what a husband should be and what a wife should be. What is the role? They don't know and they don't care. And you're looking at them and thinking, where do we even start talking? Where do we start talking? I remember um, how many many times have we had this with my wife as we're counseling. And this girl tells you, in fact, I'm the one who works hard in this house. In fact, I even earn more than him. I've even wondered, what is the purpose of a husband? Now, the crazy thing is, she's not telling you that in an individual session. The poor husband is sitting next to her. (laughs) And he's smiling, by the way. And you say, where did the rain start beating us? There's something that is happening. There's an undercurrent of change, a culture change that is happening within the church of God. And in the book of Judges, chapter 5, verse 2, it says, a generation arose that did not know God. And sometimes we think that's a very long time to come. And we don't understand. That generation is already in our churches. It's being babysat in our Sunday schools. These are the challenges we are facing today. Many Christians have no confidence in speaking about their faith, in defending their faith, Many Christians believe that all ways, all roots lead to God. By the way, the Christians in your churches, many of them will be like, look, us, we believe in Jesus. Them, they believe in Buddha. Those ones believe in Muhammad. What's the problem? And there might even be some in this fearless who are wondering, so what's the big deal, pastor? It's just the situation we're in. That these are the internal challenges. Even as we're thinking of the external ones, internally, there are significant challenges that are facing us. In challenging times like these, you, you, you find yourself praying like King David. If you've ever reflected on these things, you find yourself praying like the Psalms. Psalm chapter 11. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? What shall the righteous do? Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. Let's read that. It says, in the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, Flee like a bird to your mountain. Verse 2. Do you have it? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the string to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. That's what's happening right now. And then in verse 3, he asks this question. He says, let's read this together. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? You know, I've come to see that it's very easy for us to be, if you watch Titanic, there's a band that plays while the ship is sinking. It's very easy for us to be the church that just played our organs and played our keyboards and danced in church as the ship was going down. We need to be asking this question, when the foundations are being destroyed, what must the righteous do? And I believe that when David asked this question, he found the answer. He found the answer because in verse 4, he says something, and it's very significant. He says, let's read it together. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. Verse 5. I need somebody quick on the machine. Verse 5. Come on, come on, come on. I'm going to send someone from Worship Harvest to go and take over. Where is she? Where is, where is Vieira? Okay, Viera. All right. Let me read it for you because my, I think maybe, maybe, maybe it froze. Or is it me who froze? I'm still here. Okay. Verse 5 says, The Lord... Examines the righteous, but on the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion, and on the wicked, he will reign. This this is a very interesting kind of picture of God because many times our picture of God is that sweet baby Jesus. He says, On the wicked, he will reign, fiery coals and burning sulfur, a scorching wind will be their lot. And then, verse 7, it says, For the Lord is righteous, he loves justice. The upright will see his face. David discovered that the solution when the things are being shaken is to go back to the sovereignty and the kingship of God. He began to understand that for us when the foundations are shaken, we must understand who the king is. Because many times when our foundations are being shaken, the thing that causes us to to forget, to run, to fear, to flee like a bird to our mountains is we forget who is sitting on the throne. And so we must discover, and we must proclaim, and we must begin to follow the king. This is what this scripture is telling us. And and why am I talking about this? Why is this so important for us to start fearless with this message? It's because I've I've, I've I've come to see that for too long, we as Christians have come to think that Jesus died to make us nice people. We think that Jesus died to give us good marriages and to make us wealthy and to make us safe as we wait for heaven. We've come to teach that sometimes in our churches. All you need to do is just lift up your hand and say this prayer after me. And now you're a believer and now you can wait for heaven. Do a class, serve as an usher and praise God. And we've come to leave Christianity. We've come to reduce the view of God that our people have. But it's interesting because Jesus did not teach that. If you read Jesus' messages, Jesus never taught that the goal, the sum total of why he died is that we can be happy and have comfortable lives. Jesus' message, if you read scriptures scriptures, if you read for yourself through the Gospels and you read for yourself through the, 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 the declarations of what Jesus preached and then what he talked to people individually about, you're going to find that he had one major topic. What's the thing that Jesus preached about? Come on, somebody say it. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That's all that Jesus preached about. He says the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like this. This is how the kingdom operates, guys. Jesus preached about the kingdom. And you know, it's interesting. Mark chapter 1 verse 14 tells us, now after John was put in prison, this is when Jesus starts ministry. And he says, Jesus came to all Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this is what Jesus preached about. He says the kingdom of God is here and the gospel is, it means good news. It's a Greek word. It means good news. And this is the good news about the kingdom of God. That's all Jesus preached about, the good news ...of the kingdom of God. And you know, you're going to find that he does that in many, many interesting ways. Uh, When they ask him to teach them how to pray, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Jesus is all about the kingdom. Everything is about the kingdom. And I've told people before that many times Jesus has individual conversations with people. And we think that those conversations... We we sometimes think that the way to share the gospel is by having a prepackaged model of this is how... God loves you and has a plan for your life. Step one. Number two, it's like you already have crammed a way to lead people to Christ. Jesus never did that. What did Jesus do? For everybody he spoke to, he confronted their resistance to the kingdom. He confronted their rebellion against the kingdom. Samaritan woman, he says, go get your husband. Why? Because her resistance to the kingdom, the thing that is holding her back, is an addiction to relationships. Isn't it? So he says, go and get your husband. Jesus talks to many women. Are there any other husbands who are required? There's no other husband who is called. But this one, he knows her issue. He talks to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. Because he understands that the master's distance to the kingdom is his knowledge. He's a teacher of Israel. He knows a lot of theology. And Jesus says, unless you enter your mother's womb. By the way, Jesus never says that to anybody else. He never uses that word, born again. It's only one time in scripture. In John chapter 3. And the reason is because this man's issue. Yeah. By the way, Jesus never told Zacchaeus to be born. But Zacchaeus was not really born again. If you ask me. Because what happens? Jesus say, Zacchaeus says, I have decided, Lord, from today, I'm giving away four times what I, be, what I have stolen from people. Anything I've, uh, I'm giving to the poor. And every, everything I've stolen, I'm restoring. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. There's no sinner's prayer. There's no born again. He says today. Why? Because this man's resistance to the kingdom is what? It's corruption. He doesn't believe he can get ahead without cutting and taking shortcuts. Come on, Kenyans in the house. That's a principality that many of us have been affected by. And for us, surely, salvation for a Kenyan is not saying a sinner's prayer. It is saying, I will never be corrupt again. Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what it is. And you, you see it over and over. The conversations Jesus has. Every time, it's because of res- he, he, re- he confronts their resistance to the kingdom. And why is this? Because you see the word kingdom comes from two words. King, dom. King and domain. And it's talking about the domain, the territory, the region that a king has authority over. That's what the word kingdom is. And basically what this is saying is that God is a powerful king. And God has come to take charge over his creation. You see, the people in Jesus' time, they understood kingdom. We don't understand kingdom because we live in democracies. In a democracy, if you don't like your leaders, what do you do? You vote them out. Kick away. away. You just kick them out, isn't it? Yeah, get out. Get others. But in, king- in kingdoms, there are no elections. Yeah. We had a monarch recently die, the queen. And she died and stopped being queen at the same time. There was no referendum. There was no election. When she died, queenship ended. And then they didn't have a such committee. They didn't have political parties having a caucus to decide who the next king is. There was no parliamentary commission to vet. <laughs> and to have a declaration of wealth. There's nothing like that. Hassan, by virtue of being born, Hassan became the king. Kingdoms are very different. And people in democracies, we don't understand kingdoms. When Jesus talked about the kingdom, they killed him. They crucified him. Because they understood this is a seditious message. This is a message that turns over everything. Can I use... Can I change to this, by the way? I prefer to talk without the interruption. Please. All right. Many Christians, we, 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 we don't understand just how disruptive the faith is meant to be. We don't understand that accepting Jesus is not just fire insurance. It's not just to keep me safe from hell. It basically means I am no longer in charge. There is a king who has taken over. And the king, I don't decide. Have you ever heard people saying, you know, I'm sensing the Lord is saying this, but I'm praying about it. What are you praying about? I know, I know, I'm not supposed to date a non-Christian, but you know, I'm this guy. I'm praying. In fact, I, in fact, he's even better than the non-Christian guys. Are the Christian guys in church? Have you had that one? In fact, this guy is. He, he even his morals are good. He even listens to gospel music. Come on. This is, this is democracy when you decide whether you want to do what you're being told. But this is not what Jesus came to preach. Jesus came to preach the kingdom, that the king is here and he wants what is his. Because you see, the problem in the Garden of Eden is that Adam and Eve, they were created by the king and given dominion by the king over the place he had created. They were the dukes. They were the ones who were given charge over the earth. And when the king, the king always gives charge to who he desires. In, in 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 those countries where there were absolute monarchs, land was by right of the king. When the king decided he wanted to give you land, he gave it to you. And that's exactly how God operates. He gives authority to Adam and Eve. He says, I've made it, it's yours now. You rule it for me. But these guys, instead of ruling for him, what do they do? They side with his enemy and they rebel. And this is why they are kicked out of the garden. I used to wonder, how do you kick out somebody for eating a fruit? Anybody ever thought about that? It's like, that sounds so harsh. You come into the kitchen and your child, you've told them not to eat sugar, and they have sugar all over. You say, who stole sugar? They say, say, get out of my house and never come back. Aye, what kind of parent would do that? That is such a harsh thing. That's abusive. And sometimes we think of God as abusive because of doing that. We don't understand. The issue was not eating an apple. The issue was rebellion. God does not take part with rebellion he says for him rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and the reason jesus came was not to give me a good life it was to end my rebellion this is why jesus came to this earth to end my rebellion and to end your rebellion and to reconcile to bring back the authority of the king to what he created this is what jesus did and you know it's interesting because after he did that He left his disciples with a formula. You know, Jesus, the whole story of the Bible, by the way, is God trying to raise up a new people who would not rebel, but they would use the gift of free will he gave them to honor him, submit to him willingly. And he starts with this man called Abraham. And he's trying, he, he raises him up. And this man, you can see, Abraham, Father Abraham. Wow, this guy is such an incredible guy because God promises him something and then God withholds the thing for a while. And again, it's like, God, what are you doing? God knows this man has free will. And he's waiting to see, who is this kind of man that I've picked? And eventually, I mean, eventually he realizes this man is going nowhere. And he says, I'm giving you a son. And he gives him a son at 100 years old. Oh, come on, somebody. Uh Uh-uh. How many people would be in the witch doctor's house by 25? (laughs) Leave alone 100. The man has waited till 100 years old. Then he gets a son, and the son just grows a bit. He says, now I want you to kill the son. Ah. Ah. (laughs) What is this? Why have I wasted 100 years of my life waiting for this? What does Abraham do? He says, without wavering in his faith. (laughs) He takes this Abraham, this son of his and he says, let's go. And God says, I found Abraham to be. This man, this man is faithful. And today we are called the sons of Abraham. Have you noticed we're not called the sons of Adam? Even though Adam is who we should be called the sons of. Because Adam rebelled. But Abraham obeyed. God is looking for people who obey him. Yeah, that's who he's looking for. He's not looking for, for people who are Christians. <laughs> He's looking for people who are obedient. That's what Jesus is looking for. And then he gives us a formula. By the way, he left his people with a formula because Jesus came now, the culmination of this story of Scripture. And Jesus is the one who had every right not to obey because in nature he was God himself. But the Bible says, taking, putting aside the very nature of God, he made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant he, made, he, he lowered himself even to death on a cross. What does God do? Therefore God exalted him. Because this is what God is looking for. For people who make themselves nothing. For people who understand there is a king and it's not me. And God, here's the thing about Jesus that's so ridiculous. God realized how badly human beings needed this lesson until he himself came as a human to show us how to be. So Jesus The most amazing thing I find about Jesus in the scripture, Jesus is there to teach us who God is. If you want to understand the nature of God's love and who God is, read Jesus because you're going to see who your God is. But here's the other crazy thing. Jesus also came to show us who we are supposed to be. When you read scripture, yes, look at Jesus and say, this is what God is saying to me. But then also see, this is what God is saying about me. Because everything that Jesus said or did, you are supposed to do. Yeah, Jesus is our example of what redeemed humanity is. Obedient, submissive. He says, I don't do anything except what I see my father doing. Jesus did not do anything of his own. He always exalted the father. It was never about him. And he's like, this is what I want you to be. And then he gave his disciples a formula. He raised up people. He taught them how to be like this. And then he left them a formula. And this formula, by the way, I want to just come back and say, why am I giving this whole story? It's because I want to give you the answer. What must God's people do in a time of crisis? How are we going to thrive in our faith and not be overwhelmed and knocked out and made irrelevant by the challenges that are facing the global church, God's people across the world? And Jesus left his disciples with a formula for a vibrant faith, a conquering faith, a faith that spreads God's kingdom across the earth. If you want to be part of that thing that Jesus left behind, here's this formula. Can I tell you what the formula is? It's a very simple formula. A very simple formula. By the way, you know it. But hopefully today you'll understand it differently. Because in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 19, can I have that on the screen? This is a formula. This is, by the way, how you will thrive. This is how you will become obedient and raise people who are obedient. This is how you will become a part of Jesus' mission on earth. This, by the way, is the reason you are created. It's a reason your business exists. Can we read it together? Matthew 28, verse 18. What does it say? Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just wait right there. Some authority a bit of authority, most of the authority. What did he say? All authority has been given. Guess what happened? The conquering king has come back and taken the authority back from Satan. The authority that was stolen from you in the Garden of Eden is now mine. That's what Jesus is saying. Because guess what? When Satan tricked Adam and Eve, he took the authority. He became the prince of the air. Jesus had to come as a man. This is how God is. So, God is so, when God makes a principle, he sticks to it himself. God did not come and fight Satan. He says, because you're the one I gave authority, I now have to come as a son of Adam myself. Enter a woman's womb. Be born as a child. Go through temptation like every human being. Live an obedient life and gain the authority back for you. And then he says, now that I've gained it back for you, what do you do? Come on, verse 19. Aye, come on. Go. Somebody go. Go. (laughs) Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and verse 20, and teaching them, come on, just say it if you know it, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wow, wow, what a wow. What a shocking wow. <laughs> Jesus is talking about obedience. Have you ever noticed that we always hear the preaching part, but we don't hear the teaching them to do what? Obey. Yeah, we don't hear that part, but that's exactly what this thing is. He came to help us obey, He came to help us understand our rebellion is over and the king is in charge. And He says, Now that's your job. Teach them to obey. We carry out our mission to rule the earth by making disciples. It's that simple. What does that even mean? A disciple was somebody who followed somebody else and followed behind them and learned their teaching. And basically in those days, they dedicated their life. A disciple dedicated their life to following a teacher or a rabbi. They spent time with them. They went into their house. They ate food with them. They served them and washed their hands. This is what a disciple did. They learned in the process how to think like that teacher, how to speak like that teacher, how to be like that teacher, They spent so much time with them that it was said that when the master of the disciple died, they would not die. Because the disciple would continue to live the life of the master. This, by the way, was common in Israel. This is not Jesus bringing this. It's not an innovation by Jesus. This is what, when a Jew had, in those days, had disciple, that's exactly what he understood. A disciple was not just somebody who said a prayer. A disciple is somebody who changed their whole life to follow somebody else. And the disciples of Jesus, that's exactly what happens. They're they're catching fish. And what does Jesus say? He says, follow me. And immediately, they left everything and they followed. These Jews knew what it meant to be a disciple. You know, it's so interesting because in the early church, the the disciples understood their role. And those who are following Jesus understood their role. Paul uh, says to his disciples, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He knew That the principle that Jesus left, by the way, he doesn't say imitate Jesus as I imitate him. Does he say that? What does he say? Imitate me. He understands that this thing is about teaching people to follow. And he's saying, as Jesus taught me to follow him, I'm now teaching you to follow me. And he says, you teach others to follow you, the things you've heard me say and do. Commit to others and help them to follow you as well. What is to imitate? It means to follow, to copy, to do what somebody else is doing. That's what it means to imitate, to become like someone else. We don't, we don't make disciples by doing Bible study. Yeah. By the way, I'm saying this. I used to be the pastor in charge of discipleship at Nairobi Chapel. That was my definition. Discipleship means when people get saved, you do a Bible study with them. That's, that's how ignorant I was. I didn't understand. That's not what discipleship is about. You don't make disciples by doing Bible study with someone. You don't make disciples by making someone attend church. Yeah. You don't make disciples by causing people to listen to your sermons every Sunday. That's not discipleship. It's not. I know you're a great teacher, but that doesn't make disciples. It's just a small part of what disciple making is. All these things help, but being a disciple, making a uh, disciple, we make a disciple by asking someone else to follow us. And to follow us and imitate us as we are imitating Christ. That's how you make a disciple. Ask your neighbor, who are you, who is following you? Yeah. Who are your disciples? Do they look like they have disciples? Okay, and the question I should ask with that one is, do they know that they are following you? Because maybe you think. (laughs) Maybe the the answer you're giving, it's only you who knows. But they have no clue. (laughs) Who are your disciples? Making disciples is getting people, saying, follow me. By the way, I never used to know that. Now I do. I say, follow me. Jesus says, follow me and your life will never be the same. And I've said that to my disciples. I've said, follow me. Yeah, follow me. And when you follow me, something is going to change in your life. Yeah, that's, when you understand who you are, then you understand that is your role, that is your mandate, that you're here to make people follow you as you follow. And then the second thing is you have to also be a disciple. And what is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who's following somebody who's following Christ. So the question I have for you is who are you following? Who is your discipler? And along with that, do they know it? Uh huh. That YouTube preacher is not. It cannot be your disciple because they don't know you. They don't even know where you live. What do they know about you, <laughs> Bishop? Bishop, who? Okay, don't mention his name. Surely. Surely. You know, it's interesting. Pastor Jimmy is, my, is, is one of my mentors. We're such good friends. And he said something to me recently that blew my mind. He told me that there's a particular famous pastor. Pastor, don't worry, I won't mention the name. He's a famous Nigerian pastor who has 60,000 Kenyans who tithe to his ministry every month. Shh. <laughs> don't say the name 60,000 people in Kenya and that guy has no church in this country yeah and of course they are surely thinking this is our disciple what a shock what a shocking shock many shall say to Nigerian pastor Lord, Lord Nigerian pastor say I never knew you (laughs) who are you (laughs) Yeah, who are you that is not your, that is not your discipler. The person who you listen to someone, that's not your discipler. Who is discipling you? That's the question that you need to ask. Because discipleship is about modeling and teaching, following, obedience, and submission. That's what the scripture is about. This thing about the kingdom, when we understand it, we begin to understand, my goodness, we've been doing this thing a little wrong. We've been misunderstanding this whole concept. Of discipleship. Now, how does this help us raise resilient followers of Jesus who will stand in difficult times? I'm telling you, this is the answer. If you've been wondering how to help raise up your children to become resilient disciples, if you've been wondering how to help raise up your church or the people in your workplace that you, you, you want to disciple because you're supposed to be discipling them, how do you raise up people who will stand regardless of all those challenges? I believe the problem is Many of our churches are full of converts and not disciples. Yeah, converts and not disciples. And there's some, there are major problems with converts. I can tell you at least three things about convert Christians. And by the way, I know mega church mega church full of converts. And I'll tell you because me, I'm okay, sour. Ah, convert, converts are not, you don't want converts around you. You don't want converts around you. They will cause you pain. They will cause you pain. Convert Christians are conditional Christians. They're conditional Christians. These are people who believe that we come to Jesus because of the things he gives us. He heals our diseases. He he helps our careers. He gives us beautiful marriages. He gives us amazing children. Come on, somebody. And when those things don't happen, then we're like, uh uh-uh. Me and Jesus, we are on, we're right now, we're on a bit of a break. Have you heard people say that? Me and Jesus, right now, we're just not really on friendly terms. Does anybody know any conditional Christians in the house? Yeah, 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 yeah. And there are many in all our cities. I used to come to church, but I don't know how God could allow that. It's a conditional Christian. They're a rice Christian. As long as God is feeding you rice, you're in church. The minute he stops giving you miracles, it's like, I'm gone. I'm done. Jesus had conditional people following him, by the way. All they wanted was the bread and the miracles. Then when he told them, I am the bread, they left. (laughs) They were gone. Last sin. By the way, that really comforts me as a discipler. Because there are people who have said, follow me. And they have said, I. And they have left. I say, if they left Jesus, they will leave you also. Yeah. Those who leave you. (laughs) Bishop Doug Hayward wrote an amazing book called, Those Who Leave You. Those who abandon you. He by the way he's written how many books has he talked? Those who forget. <laughs> Those who pretend. Those are convert Christians. Those are convert Christians. Yeah. Those who accuse you. I can see people have been reading in this church. The people on this side look like they have been reading. Huh? I don't know about that. The people on this side there's something that is happening. I don't know. What are you guys thinking about the people on this side? Aye. Oh, the, this ones are reading the newspaper. Taifaleo. <laughs> please, please, please. I need some people knowing what we're talking about in the house. One of you is a devil. By the way, those are all titles. And I would really recommend that with the knowledge we're talking about, with the, with the revelation we're talking about, try read those books. Bishop Doug is one of the few movement and I'm going to talk about this in my second talk. He's one of the few movement leaders globally who is actually writing and has written a lot of books. And I think when you begin to understand how to read those books because when you when you read them without revelation like I did at the beginning, they are very offensive. Ah. Books written to convert cannot understand those books by the way. <laughs> Those are hard books to understand. You need to be in a discipleship space to understand them. Convert Christians are convenience Christians. They are convenience Christians. People who embrace the teachings of Scripture that they like and ignore the ones they don't like. Yeah. And our churches are full of these Christians. Their values in their marriage, in their business are exactly the same as those of people who are far from God. The way they they manage relationships, exactly the same. The movies they watch, the stuff they're seeing on on Netflix, exactly the same. The same. The same. Aish. Aish. You know, it's interesting. (laughs) This thing called YouTube can embarrass people. Should I go there? (laughs) you know this internet, it doesn't forget huh? anyway let me leave that one it's not political Let's, maybe day two will be a bit better friends this one I'm, I think I might, I might burn some bridges too early <laughs> you know in, in, in Mavuno we have 4.30 prayers and often we'll have people play videos music videos of their gospel Christian artists in the video once in a while You know, YouTube has a very naughty way of recommending the videos based on what you've been watching. Okay, now you understand why I can't go there. I didn't go there, by the way. I didn't. I promise. I just was trying to say why I can't go there. You you get. I was just trying to help you understand why it's not important for me to go there right now. Okay? Convenience Christians. Do you know any convenience Christians, by the way? Yeah, when God's word is amazing he fills me with good things he knows the plans he has for me come on somebody Mm. but when God's word is saying something I don't want to hear uh, 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 I'm praying I'm I'm praying let me just pray about this the third thing about these converts is that they're consumer Christians they believe it's all about Jesus and me and they have no idea that this thing is not about you. It's about you being part of a family. Do you know that, <laughs> I always say, here's the thing I used to do when I was a consumer Christian. I uh, misappropriated the promises of scripture. Because I thought the promises of scripture were given to an individual. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Until I began to understand, Jesus, God never gave that promise to an individual. That promise was given to the people of God. And many times we have misappropriated the scripture and we think it's for me. And we don't understand it is for the chosen people of God. And because these convenience Christians don't understand this, they believe I can just stay at home and flip church the way I flip TV program. I no longer need to go anywhere because this is not about people, it's about me and Jesus. I feel like I've frozen to the people on that side. They're not hearing me. Can you hear me, guys, at the back? Yeah. I'm frozen, huh? Eh? There's, there's a way that people have come to misappropriate the Bible. And they read it as if it is for me and Jesus. And they don't realize you are nothing but a part of the body of Christ. You are a part of the body. And the blessing of God comes to you in the context of the community of God's people. Read the scriptures. By the way, there are very few promises that are for an individual. Majority of the scripture, 98% of the promises in the scripture are to the people of God. This is why, by the way, when we pray at 4.30 as a church, we pray together every, every day of the week. And we pray at 4.30 as a church. Many people will tell you, when we started praying at 4.30 is when miracles started in this church. Yeah. Because before we were praying alone and people were saying, but I, want, but I can pray. God can also hear me. Who are you? God hears his body. God relates to his bride. When you come by yourself, you're out of order. Yeah. Because you're like that. Anytime a part of the body decides to do its own thing, we call it cancer. Yeah. Ah, let me say this guys, please hear me out, this thing called convert Christianity will not survive the challenges that are facing our generation. Many have already fallen away from their faith, many have left church, many are now in a place where their faith is simply just a, it's just a placebo, it's something because they're used to church, so they have to come on a Sunday and sit behind a screen and watch it and satisfy their, their sense of feeling that I'm a Christian but they're the farthest thing from what Jesus intended. And it will not survive the onslaughts that are coming against our generation. The interesting thing is many churches discovered this at COVID time. There are no amens here right now. Because many churches discovered, not the churches in the house, yeah, not the ones here. But many churches in our city are still struggling to get members back. Many churches in the city are still struggling to get the giving back. Many churches in the city, are, some of them are struggling to keep their doors open. And the reason is many pastors have discovered to their horror, they thought they were teaching disciples and they realized they've been teaching converts all this time. And converts are dangerous. Pastor of converts, church of converts. You don't want to belong to the church of converts. That's not the church for you. It's interesting because at the same time, as churches were suffering, churches of converts were suffering, there were certain movements of churches across the world that actually thrived and seemed to even do better in the middle of difficult times. There are certain churches that seemed to explode. In fact, they grew faster and are doing better as a result. It's interesting. Uh, I, think it was, I, had, I think it was you, Abmo, who told me this, that Winner's Chapel, in the year when all the churches were shutting down and people were all struggling, they planted... Ten thousand churches, ten thousand churches. Aish, what is that? How? Do, when the mountains, the foundations are being shaken. People are planting churches, as people are running. Others are running to the mountains. This church, actually, I think it was also. I, it might even have been you. I heard saying that they built a thousand buildings, over a thousand buildings, in one year as people are struggling. And by the way, I saw this consistently in movements of of the gospel in Nigeria. I saw it consistently in movements of the gospel in Korea. I saw it consistently in movements of the gospel in Brazil, in India, in very interesting places. And I kept asking myself, God, why are you working in those places and you're not working in East Africa? Is it because we did something? What did we do? Are we the ones who maybe were descended from the guy who saw Noah naked and then now we're facing car? Is is that the problem? Why are we not growing? Is it that we don't pray as much as those people pray? But we pray. By the way, East Africans pray. Ah, East Africans pray, you guys. Our churches know how to pray. So the problem is not prayer. The reason our churches are not multiplying globally across the world is not lack of prayer. It is lack of discipleship. It is lack of discipleship. If we focus on filling churches with converts, we will never thrive. But if we make disciples, our churches will thrive. Jesus says, I will build my church. And then he says, you go and make disciples. But we've kind of inverted those and we think, let me build church and hopefully Jesus will make disciples of the people in my church. Where? Where did you read that in the scripture? It doesn't say that. And that's why, guys, I'm so encouraged to see churches in our region beginning to take discipleship seriously. I am so excited at some of the pioneers in this scripture. I believe that in our generation, this is a generation that will see the East African church start global movements across the world. This generation. And, and by the way, I, I say that with humility because there are fantastic denominations in all our countries. People who have suffered and worked hard for the gospel, and filled our countries with churches. But unlike the, ch- the, the places I said, those churches have not been able to multiply across the whole world. And I think part of the reason is because of one of the principalities in East Africa is individualism. Yeah, East Africa we have indi- individualism is, we don't understand that was the sin of Eden. That is a sin that caused man to fall. That thing of nobody tells me what to do. Ah, me I know. I also went to school. Even me, I read the Bible. I also pray like you. That thing is the reason why churches in East and South Africa, South Africa, by the way, is even farther away. They're so individualistic. And this is what's causing our churches not to become movements and not to grow. This is what's causing Christians not to have generational impact. It's not understanding this thing. But I want to say for me, as I look at Pastor Jimmy's church, come on somebody, Pastor Jimmy's church. Harvest Family Church. Let me say this, guys. If you would love to see what a revival looks like, if you would like to see what radical discipleship looks like, if you would like to understand how people looked like when they were following Jesus, just come to Pastor Jimmy's church. Every time I go there, I come out like this. (laughs) Am I lying up more? I'm not lying. These guys, they are doing discipleship. And he has taught his people to follow, and they're following people who are following people who are following people. And he's not afraid of doing that. And because of that, they're doing exploits and expanding. And I I want to tell you, in the next generation, watch out, just watch the newspaper. Watch the news, watch this space. I'm so privileged to know Worship Harvest Harvest Family Church. I'm also very excited to know Worship Harvest Church. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Can you tell? Can you tell their disciples in the house? Yes, they are. Look at all of them. Yeah. Which pastor... Okay, okay, okay. Just sit down. These guy, guys, by the way, they can take over the meeting if you let them. They will. They easily will. But we love worship. Which church can the pastor show up in another country, and then he has a whole army? That is a whole church. Where else do you know churches that do that? Only the Pope. (laughs) Some of us even, I don't know if if the wife might come with you to that country. But mine I know will come. Mine will come. Mine will come. As for me and my house, at least. But pastor, what a joy to be part of a movement of incredible disciples. And we love... Worship harvest. You know, it's interesting because there's that worship harvest, there's family harvest. Mavuno is inside there. We are there. Yes. We're also there. Yes. Where are the disciples of Mavuno? Are they in the house? They're also here. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, we bless God. I, I bless God because we're learning in this season. And God has chosen in humility, somehow in our generation, it's a generation he's going to teach about following. Where the generation is going to teach about rebellion and the sin of Adam and Eve. Where the generation that is going to put aside that rebellion and become children of Abraham and stop just being children of Adam. Where the generation that is going to go across the nations and plant churches and make the, make the gospel go everywhere, change every sector of society. Not because of our wisdom, but because of who we are carrying. This is a generation that I'm glad to be part of. And Jesus says, "And surely I am with you always. If you want the presence of God in your church, if you want the presence of God in your home, make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. Make di- tell your neighbor, make disciples. Make disciples. Ah, you know, it's interesting because Paul says in Romans 8:19, "The creation groans, waits in eager expectation for the sons, the children of God, to be revealed. I believe this creation is feeling the same pain that we are feeling in the church. The challenges are real. And the creation is waiting for help. And the only way the fulfillment, the longing of creation will be fulfilled is when we churches, we Christians, begin to raise up and reveal the sons and daughters of God. This is what's going to change the world. I've come to understand that this is the secret. This is the formula. This is the thing that's going to help you succeed and thrive. This is the thing that's going to make your children go farther than you. This is the thing that's going to make you be part of a faith community that will not be knocked down by the challenges, but will actually thrive because of the challenges. Are you up to the task? Will you follow the king? Amen. I want to conclude with a couple of questions. And then we're going to move into the next session. The first question is, who are you following? Ah, who are you following? And do they know? <laughs> do they know? Who is your disciple? And do they know? <laughs> yeah. Do they know? By the way, if you know your disciple, shout their name out. Ah. Amen. Amen. A disciple-making church, in a disciple-making church, everybody knows who their discipler is. And everybody knows who they are discipling. So the next question I want to ask you is, who is following you? Who are your disciples? Yeah? And do they know? <laughs> do they know that they're your disciples? Yeah. And then number three, how can you turn your church, your career, or your organization into a disciple-making extension of the kingdom of God. Yeah. How? What will it take for you to turn your church, your, your, your career, your business, into an extension of that kingdom of God, that disciple-making kingdom of God, so that you can be part of Jesus' mission to restore a rebellious world to its rightful king. Amen? Amen. I want to just take a moment and allow us to just have a quick conversation with our neighbor. And what I want to ask you to do as we set up for our next speaker is just ask this question. What do you hear God saying to you in this message? What have you heard God say to you? Because God never says something for entertainment. He says it for you to obey. What have you heard God say to you through this message? Just one minute, let's take a moment. Don't take, don't, don't take long. You don't know, if you don't know them, introduce yourself. What's one thing you've heard God say to you through this message? Just what do you sense the Holy Spirit is saying? What is He awakening in your heart? What passion is coming up that wasn't there? What affirmation is He giving you? Maybe He's affirming what you're already doing.